Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, and for some reason, I have Jimmy and Stevie with me. So, hopefully they'll be a little bit quiet. Um, This episode is adventure, not necessarily adventure racing, but adventure and racing. So, um... Yeah, it's a different one. I didn't even know where to start when I started talking with Casey. So, um, yeah, we're going to go to Alaska. And this is um, part one of three or four episodes. Um, Casey and Jill and Peter were the only three finishers of the Iditarod Trail Invitational 1,000-mile bike race. And... uh, plan is to have them all on and then we're going to talk to them all together so uh yeah not a lot of adventure racing going on in the world but um hey we'll get some adventure and see what's happening so uh hey i'm doing what i can to help your quarantine so anyway all right so jimmy's gonna get noisy so uh go fast take chances and thanks for listening and hell stay warm this is casey Hey, Casey, this is Randy Erickson. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Sweet. So we'll get the important stuff out of the way. Are you guys uh, okay. <laughs> Are you, you guys stuck in the house up there? You know, I'm at work. I'm, uh, I'm in the hangar right now, so it might be a little echoey, but uh, I'm heading upstairs to get in my uh, office. Well, you say, it sounds good. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Yeah, no, we, uh, I work for a helicopter company. We do a bunch of essential infrastructure Mm. stuff. So I get to leave the house, which is, you know, it's kind of nice, kind of, kind of not has its moments. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of that way here. I mean, I'm in Western South Dakota and it's, I mean, I live in the middle of the woods with no neighbors, and I work by myself, so, like, nothing really has changed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel the same, other than, you know, other than going to the grocery store or whatnot. Uh, for the most part, my life's about the same as it was before I left. So, yeah, I suppose, was it, uh, and don't worry, we're going to get into the to the race and all that stuff, but uh, was it kind of a shock when you came came home and saw what was going on yeah yeah you know i had an in reach and so my wife would text me and kind of you know give me little snippets of <laughs> uh of what was going down you know yeah. she told me like the nba i don't really follow i don't follow a ton of sports and i certainly don't follow basketball yeah. but she told me like the nhl and basketball they close those seasons down you know and it you know you, you think about that like there's a lot of money yeah, yeah there's a lot of money in that you know and it's it's kind of mind-blowing that they would they would shut that down and so you know yeah i mean i had a little bit of an idea of how serious it was but it's it's different when you jump on a airplane and there's only you know 15 people on there oh, how bad <laughs> you're on a you're on a 737 with 15 people all of a sudden you're kind of like ah 
yeah, things are weird, you know. Yeah. That was kind of our first clue, and then getting to the airport, and there's, like, nobody in the airport, you know, and the Anchorage airport is always packed. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was a little bit of a shocker um, coming back. And then, you know, like, I went to Costco the next day, and there's entire shelves in Costco mm-hmm. were empty, and that's mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, I've never, you know, you... That was, it was kind of a, you know, rip the Band-Aid off situation for sure. Yeah. It's always those little things that kind of um, bring it home. Like you can't, it, like here, convenience stores, you can't bring your cup in anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah, we're not all going to die of the, the virus, but hey, let's throw a couple billion more tons of plastic out there. So, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, who are you? <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> uh, uh, well, my name's Casey Fagerquist, uh, and I live in Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah. And you were one of three that. <laughs> I was one of only three finishers in the Iditarod Trail Invitational. Uh, to Nome this year, so thousand mile, thousand mile version of the ITI. I was I was one of the three finishers, and you guys all finished together. So, yep, we all crossed the line at the same time. And, and spoiler alert, um, I'm going to be talking to everybody else, and then okay. <laughs> well, that's for the audience, so they all get to know that. But yeah, and you guys all finished together, and that's like really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so all right, so there's a lot to unpack there. Okay, so how long are you born and raised in Alaska? No, I grew up. Um, I was born in Wyoming, Casper, Wyoming. Okay, know it well. Grew up there. Oh yeah. Um, I grew up in Casper until I was seventeen, and I moved up here. Eh, I was eighteen, I guess. I moved up here in two thousand one. Uh, to go to school at the University of Alaska Anchorage. So, what's uh, what's there in Anchorage school there that you couldn't get anywhere else? Oh, I was a Nordic skier. Okay, um, and uh, I, you know, first off, I think I was fascinated with Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I had a, you know, I was just interested in Alaska. And I could have gone a couple different places for skiing and and uh, and college, but having an opportunity to come to Alaska, you know, I figured was something I probably wasn't going to get again. So I I chose to come up here, um, and and then I stayed. I liked it, and I haven't left, and I have no intention of leaving. I think it's a really cool place. So how long after you moved there did you realize that this that you this is where you're going to stay? I pretty much – so I was up here in, let's see, probably 1998 mm. for junior national championships for skiing, um, and I – you know, I pretty much knew at that point that Alaska is the place that I wanted to be. Um, I would say 
you know, when I knew I was going to live here was maybe after the first month that I'd been up here. Um, and I started really getting out into the mountains and realizing how, I don't know, how vast Alaska really was. Um, you know, I think that's, uh, it took me about a month to realize that this was the place that I was going to live. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To my, my mom was heartbroken. (laughs) Yeah, I I get it. Yeah. So, well, and, and I say that because a lot of adventure racers, um, which is, you know, my real audience most of the time, they were like hooked from the first adventure race they ever did. So I think it's it's something yeah. in your guys' blood that, that's like you find it and it's like, yep, this is it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I feel like, you know, that experience in 1998 really solidified the idea that I wanted to be in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, uh, I was on the running team up here at the same time. And, you know, one of the first – one of the first runs we did up here was this, uh, it's a pretty long run. It's like, ah, it might be 17, 18 miles. We did Lost Lake down by Seward and it's a trail run and it's just beautiful. And we hit it on a, we hit it on a good day. And I mean, it was, you know, for me being able to see the oceans and see the ocean and have the mountains and, you know, uh, just have all of that kind of right at your fingertips was totally amazing for a kid coming from Wyoming, totally landlocked, and that's that's pretty much what did it for me. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You went from no people to less people. I know <laughs> there's not many people that can say <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So, well, the thing I I kind of laughed about uh, Casper is because we had a big race there for five years the cowboy tough and then uh adventure race world championships were there in 17 uh-huh. so um oh yeah a lot actually a lot of people will be familiar with casper and have some good and bad things to say about wyoming yep <laughs> i love i love wyoming i think wyoming and alaska have a lot of things in common yeah. and uh you know one thing that i don't miss about casper is the wind yeah but I will say that growing up in Casper was a good, you know, was good preparation for the ITI this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear you. So, all right, go to school. You're a ski racer. Were you a good ski racer? I was, um, I wasn't as good as I wanted to be, um, you know, I really had aspirations of going to the Olympics. That's that's what I wanted yeah. to do. But I got, I think, you know, to a certain degree, Alaska was a good distraction. You know, it was it has a lot of distractions, and so um, I kind of got distracted. I got, you know, I let myself get derailed by all of the other things that happen in Alaska. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. oceans, yeah. adventures. Uh, you know, I just, I played too hard. So, um, it ended up, you know, the Olympic thing didn't work out for me, but you know, I think that's all for the better. Um, I have, I've had a ton of great experiences, you know, that were connected to skiing, you know, skiing brought me here. I, uh, 
worked with Alaska Pacific University, which is kind of a, you know, Nordic powerhouse um, for for Nordic skiing. You know, they created or they they did. Uh, you know, they are one of the strongest teams in the nation, and Keegan Randall comes from there, so she just got a gold medal, in, you know, in the last Olympics, and, you know, I've known Keegan since I moved up here, so uh, that was a really big thing for me, and um, so skiing's given me a lot, yeah. you know, it's given me fitness and strength and uh, just a good all-around base for doing crazy adventures <laughs> so um yeah actually i know some racers with with that have ski you know nordic backgrounds that yeah there's uh, you guys just start out tough and get tougher <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i think being a nordic skier definitely uh you know gives you strong mental advantage in a lot of situations yeah. so um, so you said mental, and, and we'll probably get into this more. How much of the ITI is is physical, and how much is is mental? Oh, uh, <laughs> um, <ew. laughs> I mean that's a that's a tough that's a tough one, you know. Um, so I I I think it depends on the year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would say uh, I've done the trip to McGrath twice and the trip to Nome once. Um, you know, the first year I went to McGrath was a really snowy year, and we walked basically from Rhone all the way to Nikolai. It was really difficult, um, and. The second year, it was really sunny. We rode the whole thing. And then the third time I did it to Nome this year, you know, it was a difficult year. Yeah. So my experience with the ITI in general is I would just say there's a lot of – it's very mental and physical. Yeah. So I'm going to say it's kind of like a 50-50 type deal. Yeah. Um, you know, the year that it was sunny and nice and we rode all the way to, all the way to McGrath yeah. – um, it was just completely enjoyable the whole time. I don't even, I don't remember suffering at all <laughs> that year. <laughs> I was really sick. I had the flu. Um, and so it was kind of a miserable experience all around. Um, but it was so beautiful and sunny and great that, uh, you know, the, the suffering from being sick kind of melts away from it. But uh, my other two experiences, I would say it's pretty much 50-50. And I think the I think the mental aspect of it is really difficult. You know, it just really um, it takes a lot to keep moving forward. Uh, but you know, maybe the beauty of Alaska is that you're so remote that you know, thinking about dropping out and the logistics involved with that just uh, it just makes you move forward. So yeah, I, I hear that. Um, and we'll get back to that. How here's a I find an interesting question. So the second year when you had good weather and it was really uh -huh. enjoyable, is that kind of sort of though like a little letdown that that you didn't get to suffer a little bit? <laughs> um, Let, let's put it this way: if that was the only one you had done, do you think you would 
do you feel like you've been missing out on something? Oh, yeah, probably. I mean, it was that was such a tough year for me because okay. I was in because you were I sick. Was in really, I was sick, yeah. and I was in really good shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, you know, I was really looking forward to testing my fitness, you know, and and seeing where I stood against Tyson and and uh, Clint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really, I really wanted to fight for the win, and I and I thought that was a possibility. And it was really kind of soul crushing okay. to be as sick as I was. Um, you know, uh, so the icing on the cake for me was that the weather was beautiful. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> because I was sick, I got a, I, I was able to take a little bit of time and and enjoy it. And so, I really appreciate that year. For, for being such great weather and for being sick a little bit, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was a little bit unsatisfying yeah. at the same same time because I put a lot of training, I put a lot of time into being fit and and wanting to race it and not being able to. Yeah, I mean, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's really heartbreaking. So, how do you get from college Nordic skier to to sitting there thinking, you know, this? I did a rod thing looks like fun. I think I'll do that. I was fascinated with the I did a rod from the time that I moved up here. Um, you know, with the dogs. I mean, in 2000, the ITI itself was relatively obscure, and I didn't ride a bike at that point. Um, so I didn't even know. I didn't even know, you know, snow biking existing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know um and so you know i was just really re- interested and have always followed the iditarod itself and uh it's always been fascinating to me um i've i actually always thought about skiing it mm-hmm. but i i kind of always dreaded that to a certain degree um so you know, one of the things that happened when I worked for APU is I, I coached uh, I coached kids. Um, and two of the kids that I coached were Greg Mattis's kids. He's the guy that does fatback bikes through Speedway Cycles. Okay. And so I met Greg, you know, kind of offhand through coaching his kids and skiing. And uh, later... Probably in 20, well, maybe 2009, I bought a mountain bike from Greg. Um, and shortly after that, probably 2011, I ended up buying a, a snow bike mm-hmm. from him. And, you know, the the seed was planted, and it kind of went from there. So that's, yeah. um, that's how it went. It was funny. Uh, you know, I initially went to McGrath, and I remember when I went to McGrath the first time, it was it was very intimidating. Um, and I somebody asked me if I was ever going to go to Nome, and I said, absolutely not. <laughs> um, you know, and then after you go to McGrath, you, you know, it uh, that seed that seed was in there. It was like, well, what happens after McGrath? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so um, it took me. 
you know, it took me another year before I was ready to to bite that that chunk off. But uh, once I made that decision, I was I was really excited yeah. about it. Um, you know, so yeah, it uh, it took me a little while to get there to build up the fitness, to build up the bike knowledge, um, and. You know, after I went to Nome the first time, I think is when that, or after I went to McGrath the first time, I think is when that seed started. It was planted and, and started growing yeah. slowly. So yeah, and people should know McGrath's three fifty, three hundred fifty miles. Yep. Yeah. So yep. So you know, the warm up is three hundred fifty miles in Alaska. In the yeah. Winter. <laughs> and so yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I never, you know, at that point that was twenty eighteen. I did the fat pursuit that year, mm-hmm. 200 miles. And that yeah. is, I mean, I'd maybe ridden my bike a hundred miles. You know, I'd only ridden yeah. a road bike a hundred miles a handful of times before that. <laughs> and then I went to do the fat pursuit that year, 200 miles. I'd never ridden my bike further than a hundred miles at a time. I'd never ridden a mountain bike a hundred miles at that yeah. point. <laughs> And I went to ride a snow bike 200 miles, miles and, uh, and it snowed a lot. I mean, we had to push a lot that year and, uh, it was, it's, it's really amazing how empowering it is to ride your bike 200 miles in the wintertime. Um, (laughs) it's amazing. And then after you've ridden it 200 miles to go ride 350 miles through, through the Alaska range was also just, it completely shifts what you think you're capable of. Um, and so, you know, after doing that in the same year, I think riding a gnome really became a possibility. Is it, you know, going to gnome, so um, ratcheting up through, from 350 miles I mean, it's it's the same gear, right? You need more food, and there's a little more logistics. But is it is it just really? Well, I've rode this far, I can ride that far. Yeah, you know, once I rode to McGrath, I didn't have any doubt in my mind that I could make it all the way to Nome. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the winter experience, I have quite a bit of like winter camping, mountaineering type experience so the the winter doesn't uh you know the winter camping and being outside that wasn't uh that wasn't a scary part for me you know the the biggest thing for me was having the fitness to be able to ride it and not be you know not be exhausted at any point um and so you know just just building up that fitness um i didn't you know, I just, all of my experience, all of my fitness comes from Nordic skiing and, um, you know, transferring that over to a bike just, it just took time, you know? So I've probably Mm -hmm. in 2018, I think I, I think I put about 350 hours of training cycling specific in 2019. I think that moved up to maybe like 400, 420 somewhere in there and in 2020 it was over 500 hours of cycling specific stuff so it really 
it really changed. It really increased a lot. And my durability, you know, my durability is completely different. I couldn't have, I couldn't have rode the gnome in 2018, but you know, yeah. by 2020, it, it uh, my durability was just, it was just there to be able to do that for sure. Yeah. So, 500 hours of bike training is that specific training or just riding or you know what's your it's training? It's pretty specific. Okay. Um, it's you know like I do. It's pretty specific. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Lots of power, I mean, I, heart rate, specific workouts. I don't. I do a lot of heart rate. Okay. You know, I don't. I haven't gotten into the whole watts thing. Yeah. You know, I make it a big point, you know, to train outside all the time. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the weather in Anchorage can be horrible in the fall. And uh, it gets really icy. A lot of times it'll rain and freeze and it's just like a sheet of ice outside. You know, I think in three years that I've been really focusing on bike training, I maybe have ridden the trainer inside, you know, ten times at most. I think it's really important. You know, one thing for me is just like riding outside is really important. Um, I like to be outside, uh, and I think if I'm going to do it, I, you know, I, I'd like to do it outside. I think it it helps you learn how to dress. It helps you learn how to work on your bike when it's muddy, when it's you know covered in ice or you know just packed with snow. It it teaches you. It teaches you how to be resilient in those in those different crappy weather situations. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, what clothes to wear, what clothes not to wear, um, and I think all of those experiences add up to just knowledge that you can draw on. And uh, you know, was, I was happy to have all of those experiences this year. You know, we went from, like, 45 below all the way to 40 above, and you go from, like, snowing and windy to rainy and windy. I mean, it was it was a, it was just, it was a crazy year to do the ITI. Yeah. So. <clears throat> yeah, you, you didn't pick a good year like there was ever, uh, <laughs> ever a good year. <laughs> yeah. So. Peter and Jill and I all agreed at one point. We think there was, like, three days of good weather with sun and you know some blue sky yeah. and uh you know so that's i mean i i feel like that's typical alaska mm-hmm. for sure but yeah the trail was just slow all the time we didn't we didn't have a lot of days where it was easy to make 80 or 100 miles you know i look back at different years you talk to people and they make you know sometimes they cover 100 miles in a day a hundred miles in ten hours on the Yukon, and there's no way that was going to happen yeah. this year. You know. Yeah. So we're just about ready to get to the race, but um, how how long did it take you to be comfortable winter camping in Alaska and being out there and you know getting all the gear sorted and and just you know to where you're the point? I'm sure it's pretty second nature to you. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think from the from the point that I moved up here, I remember, I remember going back to Wyoming that first Christmas, and my dad, I got a MSR uh, Simmerlite stove um, 
for Christmas that year. And that was pretty much, that was it. Um, I bought some backcountry skis, put some Telemark bindings on them. I had a stove, uh, you know, I had a sleeping bag and, and, um, we, my friends and I would go to Turnigan Pass or Hatcher Pass and, you know, winter camp, um, and, and do backcountry skiing for like a week at a time. Um, University of Alaska at that point, we took classes, uh, Monday through Thursday and you had Friday through Sunday off. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times we'd take off and go, uh, go to the mountains and camp and ski and we had you know we had we had an education for sure we made a lot of mistakes um and you know we learned through trial and error but uh you know i've been doing that for a long time you know 18 years kind of just going out and camping and trying new things and trying new clothes, trying new gear. I worked at a really popular shop up here, Alaska Mountaineering and Hiking, for a couple of years, um, which kind of really introduced me into the mountaineering scene and, you know, put a lot of resources at my fingertips to be able to try it out without having to buy it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh... And so I really was able to figure out what worked for me and what didn't. Um, you know, I got into the climbing scene in the Alaska Range for a little while, um, you know, which gives you a lot of cold weather experience. Uh, so um, those things, you know, added to that just war chest of knowledge that uh, that you're able to draw on in tough times and... You know, like I said, I enjoy being outside, mm-hmm. and um, so I think I'm always just kind of, I'm always tinkering with things, trying things, um, you know, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I have I have a closet at my house that's full of sleeping bags. I have an action packer that's full of tents, you know, yeah. it's kind <laughs> of a, yeah. it's, it's kind of a ridiculous, it's an obsession, <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's nice to have it when you want it, but uh, you know, when you go to move uh, from one house to another, you're like, why do I have all of this stuff? <laughs> yeah. So, well, you don't have to worry about that with with on this this show because you know all the adventure racers have the bikes and kayaks and you know pack rafts, pack rafts, yeah. and probably ski. Yeah. So <laughs> you're right yeah. at home. Um, yeah. Let's. I want to talk a little bit about the gear that you use, but tell me if this is is or was true. In the early days, the way I understood it or what I heard is there was no mandatory gear, but you had to sleep outside the night before the race. So, oh, <laughs> for the ITI, yeah. And oh, I have no idea. I. Um... I don't know. Okay. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm going to say it is. And, I mean, I think, you know, if if you want to be cold and go light, you know, well, go ahead. But um, Yep. Yep. So, I mean, how much, how much, what did you carry, you know, roughly, what did you, you know, how much did your bike weigh when you started? 
You know, when we got to know him, I don't know how much it weighed when we started. I am not a weight okay. by any by any means. Um, so my, you know, my introduction into mountaineering was, you know, through this guy at, at uh, AMH who, you know, spent his life doing search and rescue stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not opposed to fast and light. I do. I, re- I really like fast and light stuff, but I'm not the guy that's going to be the lightest okay. for sure. I am a firm believer in being able to, you know, take care of yourself um, and self-rescue. I, um, you know, I don't want to ever get in a position where I have to, use human resources other than myself to get out of a situation. You know, I think that's completely irresponsible and there's no, uh, you know, unless it's just a freak accident, I don't, I think if you put yourself in that situation, it's a failure. So, um, with that in mind, you know, when we got to Nome and we had to ship our bikes back, um, both Peter and Jill weighed in, I think, around 70 pounds, and I weighed in around 60. Okay. So I think I was 60 and they were 70. So I ended up being about 10 pounds lighter than they were. So, so that, I mean, that's – I mean, you're not starting with the lightest bike in the world. So, I mean, that seems reasonable to me, but what do I yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think – I mean – this sounds like your philosophy, but do you think in the long run it's better to be a little bit comfortable when you're out there, even if you have to carry a little more weight? You're, you know, you're going to be more efficient. You're going to be a little faster. Um. So I usually carry only the stuff that I need, and so I think that was I think that was evidenced a lot in you know maybe the packing style I had versus what uh, Jill and Peter had, you know, like when we would get, I didn't really, I didn't have anything extra than, you know, from what I would ride with on the bike. Mm -hmm. Um, I brought a pair of underwear (laughs) to, you know, to change into in villages or whatnot, but I would put, you know, I'd put the undies on and then I'd put, you know, the pants that I was riding in yeah. on over them. Um, you know, I didn't have booties um, or anything like that to walk around in. Okay. I just put my bike shoes back on. Um, one thing that I was insanely jealous of was that Peter always had, he had a, you know, he had a pair of, I think he had like shorts and undies and a shirt to change into in the villages. Um he also had down booties, and you know he had he had creature comforts, and I certainly didn't have those. Um, and I was insanely jealous of them. <laughs> I, I think I think Jill was somewhere in the middle. I don't think she had as many creature comforts as uh, as Peter did, but she definitely had more than I did. And you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen days into it, I was pretty jealous of everything. Yeah they had to make their life more enjoyable. So, um, so how many nights would you, did you spend out and how many nights in, uh, I don't know what we'd call a TA, but what in a village or, or, or inside, let's say, um, we didn't spend too many nights out after McGrath. I think I spent two nights out total, Mm -hmm. like 
Under the Stars. Um, and that was not, you know, before McGrath, I think I maybe, I bivvied three times before McGrath. So I was three nights out before McGrath and two nights after. It was never my intention to sleep outside okay. all that much. All I brought was a sleeping bag. I didn't bring a bivy sack or anything like that. Um, you know, so my intention really was to, you know, kind of sprint between checkpoints and shelter cabins for the most okay. part um, and, and sleep inside. Um, and that became an issue kind of after Galena because everything got so slow. And then on top of it, everything, you know, it started raining. <laughs> And I didn't have any way to keep my sleeping bag dry because um, I didn't have a baby sack. So um, I did a rod, sends out a bunch of hay bales um, for the dogs, and they come in these huge blue trash bags. <laughs> and so uh, I ended up, you know, commandeering one of those huge blue trash bags as my baby sack. Um, you know, just you know, in anticipation of actually having to sleep out under the stars in the rain. Um, and I never had to use it, but it did come in handy for other stuff, you know, just keeping things dry during the day. Um, so, you know, in hindsight, I think another, you're always tinkering with your gear, but I, I you know, in hindsight, I think I would have taken a baby sack or wished, wished I had it for sure. Or steal a hay bale bag sooner. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> yeah, there were times when my sleeping bag went from being a 40 below bag, you know, all big and however many inches aloft yeah. that was, you know, it ended up being just a fraction of the size because it got so wet. So, so when you're doing that, do you just take a couple hours, you know, get a little rest and then just keep moving? Yeah, that was kind of my intention. If, if you know, if it would have been rideable and raceable... Um, I think, you know, that, that was going to be my intention. I, I had every intention of racing it and seeing how fast yeah. I could get to know. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was, that was the goal for sure. Uh, and then I, you know, um, it's hard, uh, when the trail was as slow and as soft as it was, it's hard to get away from people. And when it's as mentally tough as it was, um, it's also hard to leave people, you know, yeah. um, especially after we had, we started having bonding moments. And then, you know, once you realize you get along with these people and we laugh and we, we enjoy being around each other. Yeah. I mean, it became my goals shifted a little bit and, uh, it became fun to have new friends and um, and experience the trail together. Yeah. You know uh, <laughs> that. You know, I think the biggest takeaway for me this year was like I made I made good friends yeah. and I had a lot of social experiences on the trail that you just you don't have when you're alone and you're pushing really hard to get from point A to point B. When that's your goal, you you skip the social experiences because they slow you down. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I had a much more full experience this year, uh, 
mainly because Jill and Peter were so fun to be around, and then having all three of us go through villages together was, you know, I mean, it was something you wouldn't have experienced on your own. So yeah, I think it was it was a lot of fun, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really happy. I'm really happy we did it together. That's good. Well, and we're gonna we'll get on that a little bit, but um, did you know? I mean, with the weather, like how soon do you do you know that it's not going to be a quote unquote oh, race? I knew, you know, I you probably know about the Sioux City One Hundred. So the Sioux City One Hundred was two weeks, um, two weeks before the start of the ITI this year, and it was immaculate. The trail was firm. You know, it was a bluebird, sunny day for that race. Um, it was great. Uh, everything about it was perfect. And then I think the next day or maybe two days after that, it just started dumping snow. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and it snowed. It snowed pretty consistently for the next two weeks, you know, basically all the way up to the race start. And so I think anybody that knows anything about the Dismal Swamp or, you know, being out on the Susitna or the gas line, you know, I, I, I think, I think we knew there was a, there was certainty that we were going to be doing a lot of hike a bike mm-hmm. uh, to McGrath. You know, for me, there was a lot of, I didn't know what was going to happen after McGrath. Um, you know, but the iron dog had pretty bad weather with lots of snow. Um, and, you know, I think, my general feeling is that it was just going to be soft. You know, there was going to be a lot of walking. And I honestly, like there was a lot of, I didn't know if I wanted to start it. Uh (laughs) Well, that was my question. Yeah. I mean, what, how do you deal with that to know that it's going to suck for three weeks? (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't, you know, I still had, I was very positive. Mm -hmm. I think one thing about adventure racers is you're, you know, positive to a fault. You're, you, you look at things as glass half full. So, um, you know, maybe that's one thing I had going against me. Uh, I, I really have no intention. I don't like pushing my bike, you know, I don't like pushing my bike through the snow. I, I, I wanted it to be, I wanted to ride my bike. Um, you know, I, I know that there's a certain amount of walking involved, but yeah. you know, in my heart, I was optimistic that it was going to be a minimal amount of walking. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, obviously it wasn't, it was the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think the sense of adventure is what kicks in and says, I'm really, I want to know what's after McGrath. And so that's what drove me to get to McGrath. Um, And then, you know, the beauty of being after McGrath is it was all new. It was all new experiences. I was seeing new things. I was always curious about what's over that hill, what's around the next corner. And so... um, you know, even if we were walking or even if it was raining on us or we were in a whiteout, I was always, it was easy after McGrath. I think I had to shut my brain off to get to McGrath. It was a lot of walking to get to McGrath. Um, you know, so I think I just kind of shut my brain off and 
and went through the motions to get to McGrath. But after that, I was, you know, genuinely excited and curious about what was next. And remember, people, it's 350 miles to McGrath. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's funny because you you talk as it so casually like, well, yeah, you're going, you're doing 50 miles to McGrath. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it took me six days, you know, which is, or, you know, I maybe took me, it was over five and a half days anyway. And, uh, um, you know, I think when I was, you know, when I had the flu and it was nice, I think I did it in under three days or right around three days. So, you know, um, it was, it took a long time to get there. It was, it was a little, uh, it was a little heartbreaking for me, you know, cause I had a, I had an outside goal of being able to get to Nome in 14 days. Mm-hmm. And then when you take six days to get to McGrath, you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to make it to Nome in 14 days, you know? So, yeah. So, so when did when did the th- three of you when and how did the three of you um, hook up? Well, we were all in McGrath. We ended up in McGrath together because we were waiting for the trail breakers to come through. Yeah. We knew there was no trail after Ofer, essentially, and uh, so we we spent um, two days in McGrath. Um, waiting for the trail breakers, um, which is, so we all left McGrath together, okay. which was great. Um, we all kind of followed Peter out of McGrath cause he knew where he was going. And at that point we had UC, this Finnish guy with us. Um, so Jill and UC and I were all rookies at that point. And, uh, we followed Peter like little, you know, like little like little ducklings out of <laughs> out of McGrath, and uh, um, we all ended up in Ofer together that night. Uh, and the trail breakers passed us that day, um, and so we left Ofer that morning. And I think at that point it was still, you know, we were happy to travel all the way to Ofer together. We had a we had a blast. Um, but for me, leaving Ofer, it was kind of every man for himself. Yeah. Um, I think the hard part about that is the trail was firm, but it was kind of like a is a little bit of a breakable crust. Um, and so I ended up leaving. I think I pulled away from those guys when we left Ofer in the morning. But it was a lot of work for me. Um, it was a lot of work for me uh, to break to ride on that breakable crust. It was fast. I, I, you know, I think I was making like seven or eight miles an hour, but you know, it, it kind of took a physical toll. Um, and I stopped at a shelter cabin out there to eat some food, um, and move on. And I, I thought I'd put a lot of quite a bit of time into into Jill and Peter and Yusi, but it turns out I'd only put, you know, maybe, 15 minutes into them (laughs) so you know it was a little bit like mentally tough for me you know it was a little it 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 was a little mentally you know i was a little surprised when peter showed up 15 minutes after me at that cabin um and then when we left there 
again, I left, you know, probably 15 minutes before those guys, but the trail was really soft after that. Yeah. The trail breaker spent the night in that cabin and left in the morning, <clears throat> and the trail didn't have a chance to set up. And so the trail was just, like, completely soft after that. And I had to stop and let air out of my tires. And then I kind of had a little, you know, I had stands build up in my valve stem. Mm -hmm. And so I had, to, I had to take a valve core out and, you know, get all of that stuff out of there so I could put air in my tire and let air out. And Jill and Peter both caught up to me there. Um, and we ended up traveling together uh, we traveled together and stayed outside that night. Um, our intention was to make it to the next shelter cabin. I can't remember how far that was, but uh, Peter, that's when Peter blew out his rear hub. Yeah, I've seen um, seen that. So that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into yeah. that with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he blew out his rear hub, and we ended up having to walk. And we all stayed together because it was really cold. I mean, it was probably, you know, it was around 40 below. It was definitely 40 below that night. Yeah. Um, and so we all stayed together. And because we were walking, we couldn't – it, it kind of became unrealistic to make it all the way to the shelter cabin. It was just too far, mm -hmm. which is why we decided uh, to baby out together that night. Um <clears throat> Uh, and I, you know, one of my fondest memories of Jill is waking up the next morning, um, you know, and she had a smile on her face after, I mean, she woke up with a smile on her face uh. after we bivvied out at 40 below. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I just thought to myself, I was like, wow, she was way too excited to be out here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's just, you don't wake up at 40 below. You're not excited about waking up yeah. at 40 below. And, and Jill had, Jill was, she was resilient. She was always happy. And, and that was kind of the, my first glimpse of, you know, Jill's just like incessant positivity. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, the other thing at 40 below is you're just always cold. And so, you know, we got up and started biking, and I think we all, you know, Peter was walking, and Jill and I were both biking, and we kind of drifted apart at that point because, you know, I was still racing. Um, Peter couldn't keep up. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jill and I were going at, different, at a different pace. Um, and so we separated again at that point, uh, and I cruised. I pushed pretty hard to get to the shelter cabin because I wanted to warm up and eat some food. Um, so I think I ended up uh, maybe over like 30 miles. I put about an hour on Jill. Um, I got to the shelter cabin and melted some water and made some food. And I was really looking forward to going to Cripple to get my drop bag. Um, you know, I was looking forward to some of that food, mainly the butter. <laughs> uh, now, I think I threw the butter out, and I wanted the butter later, and Jill actually grabbed the butter and had it later when I wanted it. So that was a funny story. Yeah. But uh, um, I was looking forward to getting the cripple. So I was rolling out of that cabin when Jill rolled up. Um, you know, and so basically we didn't – after that, we didn't see each other 
again until Ruby. Peter and Jill and I kind of saw each other again in Ruby. So it was interesting when I got to Cripple. They didn't they didn't have our drop bags, um, which mm. was you know I mean that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Cripple's really out in the middle of nowhere. I think the stretch from McGrath. To Ruby is like 180 miles or so, and Cripple's kind of roughly right in the middle. Um, so you're definitely looking forward to Cripple. Yeah. <laughs> you're looking forward to that drop bag, and when I got there and they didn't have it, it was, uh, you know, it was another little crushing moment. Yeah. It wasn't a huge deal for me because uh, I overpacked when I left McGrath. Um, so I had enough food to make it to Ruby, but I was looking forward to some of the food in that bag yeah um and i was able to work with you know i did a rod was super helpful there i worked with this guy tyrell Seavey, um and he facilitated getting our drop bags there from mcgrath which was really great um it wasn't just tyrell there were a bunch of people involved in it but he was the one that really helped me out and you know um so that was that was good. It was nice to get those drop bags there. Yeah, you just it, it's. I think I hung out and cripple for about an hour, yeah. uh, waiting for him to get there. Yeah, yeah. You just it's you get your mind fixated on something, and yeah, that's a bummer when it's not there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It is. It's you know you. you you know, you're defeated for the split second, yeah. and then your mind just shifts. It's like, okay, what do I do now? You know what I mean? Yep. And um, that happens a lot on this trip. And, again, you know, I think one of the – I think Peter and Jill and I worked really well together. Jill was always super positive. Um, she was never – she never let anything – get to her and so that was always really good for peter and i mm. i think so i mean did did you have some down moments i mean that mentally i don't you um i only i i don't think we did okay. i think you know the group as a whole we were always super positive there yeah. were there were really there were a lot of moments that were not fun um and i think the the hardest point for me you know, the hardest time for me was really the last day from the Topcock cabin to safety. I would say if I had like a mentally down day, that was that was it. But I don't. Nobody was ever negative. Okay. You know, we never, we never, nobody in that group ever had like a negative attitude <clears throat> where we were like, you know, get me out of here. Yeah. I'm ready to be done with this. Everybody always had a positive attitude. Do you? Which was, yeah. Do you think that's Maybe self uh, deciding that if if you have any kind of a bad mental attitude doing things that maybe you shouldn't be doing the ITI and, and people self <laughs> people yeah. self uh, are self aware and don't do it. Yeah, um, I think it would be an interesting thing if, uh, to you know to be a a generally negative person and sign up for the ITI yeah. because it is, it's pretty tough. It's pretty challenging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so I don't, I don't, you know, I think if you let negativity creep in, I can see how that would be yeah. really, I don't know how you would ever finish that because, uh, you know, I consider myself to be a really like 
positive person, yeah. and you still you still have those thoughts where you're like, Ugh, I'm going to drop out Nikolai, you know, because <laughs> uh, you know, getting to, I don't know, I feel like the last 15 miles of Nikolai are always really tough, and you know, it's I don't know how you'd ever do the, I don't know how you'd ever do the I finish the ITI if you were a negative person. I just, I really don't. Yeah. Well, it's some, uh, university Alaska, uh, uh, psychology student needs to do a paper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be fascinating. Um, the mind, yeah. the mind of the mind of you people. <laughs> yeah. I think you have to be positive and I think you have to be flexible, you yeah. know, like people, you know, people that, that like routine, um, and like things to go the way that they planned. Yeah. Uh, I think that race is is going to be a really hard race for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you didn't yeah. you didn't plan on spending two days in McGrath, but you know, you, yeah. I mean, you just you have to, right? I mean, you just deal with it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You kind of have to roll with the punches. So, was there a point where the three of you actually looked at each other and said, "Let's just finish this together"? Yeah, um, I can't remember if it was either in, I think it was in Gullivan. Um, we got really lucky in Gullivan. When we made it to Gullivan, the one contact we had was this guy, Frank, I think was his name. Um, he doesn't have a phone. <laughs> when we got to Gullivan, and it was basically like a ghost town. There was nobody in town. Um, the school was closed. Uh, we had no idea how to get a hold of Frank. Um, we had no other contacts. <laughs> and so, you know, we're like kind of wandering around Gollum and it's not very big. And I just randomly walked over to a door and knocked on the door and said, hey, we're trying to get a hold of Frank. Mm. And the lady there was super nice and helpful. She tried to feed us. She's like, you guys look cold. You should have some coffee. <laughs> uh, you know, so she was great. She called Frank for us, or somehow she got a hold of Frank. I can't remember how. And Frank just said, sorry, I can't help you. The school's closed. And so we were kind of like, uh. Yeah. But this lady, um, she knew somebody that let us stay in their rental cabin. And it was great. It had, you know, it had water. It had beds. It, you know, again, it was... We were super fortunate because we were able to hang things up and dry them out. Um, it wasn't a very big place, but it was big enough. Yeah. And, you know, I think we were all sitting there on a couch or like a futon or something. Um, and Peter was the one that brought it up. He said, you know, how are we going to do this? Uh, are we going to finish together? And it was, you know, it was an easy, unanimous, yeah, yeah we're going to we're going to cross the line together. And I can't remember if it was in Gullivan or if it was in the top cop cabin that we had that discussion, but it was, it was either the second to last night or the last night that we had that discussion. But, you know, I would say pretty much by the time we got to, you know, we were all, I mean, we were all traveling together as a group. I don't think, uh, I take that back. I was going to leave them when we stayed in the Quick River cabin. I was feeling really good, and they were both tired, Mm -hmm. and I was going to leave. But there was a crazy, crazy, crazy storm that blew in, and 
I decided to stick around. I didn't want to be out in the wind. And that's the storm that ended up breaking up the sea ice. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was really, you know, the next day I was happy I didn't leave them. And I think at that point I had no intention of, you know, I had no intention of leaving them after that. Yeah. So, I mean, come on, you guys had bonded. Yeah, we had a lot of bonding yeah. moments. Right. <laughs> so this is, I ask this of adventure racers all the time, so this isn't a, isn't a question of you, but do Peter and Jill know something about you that your wife doesn't know? Mm, you don't. No. I was going to say you don't say what it is, but <laughs> no, they definitely don't. Okay, um, my I've known my wife for a long time. Right. We've spent a lot of time together, All so right. she she. Oh yeah, there's lots of good stories there, but we've been in many winter camping survival situations okay. together, so she pretty much knows everything about me. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, just out of curiosity, she from Alaska or where'd she come from? She is Alaska born and raised. Yeah. Um, she grew up in Talkeetna, which is a little, you know, it's a town two hours north of Anchorage and it's the jumping off point to get into the Alaska range. Okay. Um, and she grew up there. It's a tiny little town. Uh, she didn't have a road into her house and she grew up without water or electricity so she's pretty tough she's pretty tough girl yeah and she's super competitive so uh, <laughs> okay yeah yeah she she beat all the information out of you already <laughs> yep so, yep she uh, definitely she's yeah. tough yeah. yeah but um surprisingly there are adventure racers that teammates know things that significant others don't know so yeah 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 i'm not i'm not surprised by that yeah. i mean but uh you know taz do taz and i do uh adventure style yeah. we do a lot of adventure stuff together so yeah. we've we have bonded many 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 times over similar experiences so, so. i don't this isn't quite the same but um so when i talk to couples that race together uh-huh. I always ask them, are you teammates or are you married? So when you guys <laughs> when you guys are out on an adventure, if if you, you know, have a few people with you, you know, maybe four or five people, are you ma- married or are you on an adventure together? I think Taz and I are perfect for each other um because we're we're best friends, you know, yeah. which makes it easy to be married. Yeah. So um I think maybe I might have a unique answer to this okay. because I feel like we are on a team together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. But my wife, uh, she feels like it is every person for themselves <laughs> and she will definitely take advantage of any weakness that she knows I have and and try to beat me to the finish line, which has happened before yeah. several times. So... <laughs> She exploits, she exploits any weakness I have yeah, so. to make sure that she gets to the finish line first. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Suck it up, be tough, huh? Yep. And I will always, I will always be the teammate. I'm like, oh, do you need me to help you with that? Mm. And uh, she will, 
she will always leave me behind. So that's perfect. And it's good because we know that about each other. Yeah. Well, it works. I mean, yeah, that's nothing wrong with that. My wife yeah. can chill. You know, I'm not the one doing 200-mile runs. She is. I'm not the adventure racer. She is. Yeah. There's a reason. Yeah. There's a reason. I got tired of that racing stuff a long time ago. But um, Yeah. So what um, – I mean, obviously, the ITI is is like your big race of the year. Do you do other races? I try to. Um, you know, the winter time is. I really like winter. I've always been a winter person. Um, you know, so I think to you know, at least in the fat biking community, I find people that enjoy winter. But I, you know, I think it's hard to find people to relate to in normal life because most people don't like winter and i (laughs) i really i get really excited about winter and then i i have this really love hate relationship with the spring because it just means that all the snow is going away um so winter for me you know is the exciting time of year and it's a it's a good time of year for me with work because i end up having more time uh to do you know, longer, longer things for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, in the summertime, I just don't, I don't have a lot of time to travel or do multi-day adventures. Um, so I don't usually leave Alaska in the summer. I do race. Uh, there's two races up here. I try to do one of them's the Kenai 250, which is really fun. And I recommend it to anybody that's thinking about it. And the other one is uh, soggy bottom 100. Um, and those are both great races, uh, you know, kind of out in the backcountry in Alaska on the Kenai Peninsula, single track type stuff. It's really, they're awesome. And then um, I try to get away. Work usually slows down sometime in September, and I try, my wife and I try to get away kind of for a vacation adventure. It's not necessarily a race. Usually we, you know, recently we've both gotten into bikepacking. So recently the adventures have centered around bikepacking. Um, we've gone down and done a big trip in Southern California last, last fall. I did a solo, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, 10 day Arizona trail deal, um, which was a lot of fun, you know, that's what we try to get away and do something like that in the fall. Big trip. We the first bikepacking trip we did was the Colorado Trail. Mm. Um, that was probably in 2017, I believe, yeah. and uh, that was a lot of fun. That was great. Oh. Yeah. So, so you have some good adventures. Yeah. Yep. So, all right, this might be a hard question, and I think you know we'll get it wrapped up here pretty quick. But if you it's kind of a two-part question. Would how do I want to put this? I don't. I don't know. I'm a dummy. Um, if if you went and did the race, did the ITI, and had, let's say, the perfect race, would you do it again after that? Yeah. I mean, it's different. <laughs> oh, that wasn't different such a hard question. <laughs> no, it's. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Yeah. It's an obsession. Or I, I don't know if it's an obsession. Right. I'm not obsessed with the ITI, but, you know, once I do something, um, 
you know, once you race the 350 or you go to Nome, mm -hmm. I, I feel like there's this pursuit, not necessarily for perfection, but to be, you know, to make it as, as good as it can be, yeah. you know, physically and mentally. And there's so much that goes into that. Yeah. With the ITI, you know, it's gear selection, tire selection, bike selection, shoe selection, clothing, you know, it just, there's so many things that go into it. And then like, you know, year round fitness, you know, you can't, it's infuriating to me. I really like backcountry skiing, but I, I get obsessed about, uh, you know, creating this bike specific durability um and i want that so when i ride the mcgrath or i ride the gnome you know you don't you don't tire out yeah. you know what i mean um and yeah i mean i i uh uh yeah i mean I, for sure i would do it again in a heartbeat and um it's just it's almost intoxicating. It's almost intoxicating thinking about it all the time and uh, planning for it and uh, and then going out and, and trying it and then being frustrated because this didn't work or that didn't work or the weather didn't, you know, you weren't prepared for that kind of weather. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. It changes every year. And, you know, it's one of the things I think I love about any type of adventure racing um, versus like versus, you know, cross country running where you run around a 5k loop and it's the same 5k loop every year. And it, it, it changes for sure, but it doesn't change that much, you know, yeah. or Nordic skiing is the same way or, you know, like running around a track, you know, um, all of those things also have a place in my heart, but you know, the fact that adventure racing is just, it's a completely unknown every single year. It's never even close to the same, yeah. um, you know, uh, and even it's, it's totally different, you know, half a day later, you know, somebody that goes through rainy pass a half a day after I do has a completely different experience mm -hmm. than I did. And I, I love that about adventure racing. Um, I think that's, I, I think that's just, it's just, uh, you know, the variable nature of it is something that I crave. And, I, you know, I think once you go to McGrath or Nome, it totally just changes your perception of the way the race should be. Um, you know, obviously there's a place for, you know, Tuesday night, local Tuesday night races, crit races, road racing and stuff like that but it, it just doesn't have the it doesn't have the teeth it doesn't have the same excitement as riding the gnome to me you know what i mean oh <laughs> we're gonna stop right there because i never heard a better sentence is it doesn't have the excitement as riding to gnome <laughs> so um well this has been really fun and interesting and if we go to plan, and I can 
find a time and we'll get all three of you together because I want to just sit back and listen to you three tell lies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be perfect. So, okay, so just one, literally one last question: What do you do with okay. helicopters? I am a mechanic. Okay, so I, uh, yep, I just, I, mm, you're I the important do. person. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, you know, it's all it's all in the eye of the beholder. So yeah, well I I'd fly in your helicopter anytime. <laughs> Perfect, thanks. All right. So all right, well, I'm gonna let you go so you can go home. I don't know, you're probably gonna go ride fat bike all night. Get a training ride in. Oh, you know what? Uh so there's a good story about this. Yeah. We just got a puppy. Uh oh. And I don't know. I don't know if you, I mean, this was kind of just uh, uh, lots of people that did the race to McGrath got to see these puppies. There's a, you know, when you when you travel up to Yentna, you, the first roadhouse you come to is Yentna Station. Um, and then between Yentna Station and Squintna, there's a handful of roadhouses. There's uh, McDougal. Uh, there's a couple, yeah. I can't remember all of them, but McDougal, the lady at McDougal had puppies. And so anybody that stopped there, you know, uh, got to see the puppies. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually stop there. Um, but let's see, last year, Taz and I did a training ride out to Squintna and it, it snowed two feet on us. <laughs> and so we ended up getting stuck on Super Bowl Sunday at McDougal Lodge with this lady, and McDougal has satellite TV, and so it's the only place on the river that has satellite TV, and so they have a big Super Bowl Sunday party there, and everybody on the river goes to McDougal to uh, to watch the Super yeah. Bowl. So we got to meet all of these people on the river, and you know we we learned all of the river gossip, which is a different story and completely fascinating. But Chanda, who is the caretaker of uh, McDougal, had these two dogs. They're Australian Shepherds. Uh, The female's name is Sue and the male's name is Hatch. And they were, you know, they were great. Um, They were super social. They were awesome dogs. A lot of fun to be around. And Chanda at the time was saying, I think I'm going to have puppies. And my wife said, hey, if you ever have puppies, you should let us know. So this year, um, you know, a lot of people stopped at McDougal and got to, got to see the puppies. And a lot of those people uh, texted my wife pictures of the puppies and said, oh, Chanda's got puppies. Yeah. <laughs> So as soon as that happened, my inReach started blowing up, um, <laughs> saying that uh, McDougal had puppies, and, and uh, you know, anyway. Yep. Long story short, when I came home, we got a puppy. And what's the puppy's so, name? Uh, this puppy, we got a female. She's a black tri. Her name is Eska. <laughs> And uh, she's six weeks old. She was born on February 24th, so literally just days before the race started. Interesting. All right, so not to top your story, but to put a topper on it, (laughs) my little chili, 
who is probably Australian Shepherd. Uh-huh. Paulette is in Patagonia, Chile, Puento Arenas, and I'm getting emails, can I bring a dog home? <laughs> so that's <Yeah>. so <laughs> welcome to the club. Yeah, isn't that amazing? It is cool. So Yeah. Alright. So you're gonna go home and play with the puppy. Yep. Yep. So it's a little bit ITI training, you know, because she keeps you up all night. There you so go. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So cool. Well, thank you for your time. And, uh, man, I can't wait for people to hear this. So, <laughs> Yeah, it was good to meet you. Yeah. Thanks. This, Thanks for the call. This might actually be out in a couple hours. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, just because cool. I haven't pulled it out for a little bit. It's been kind of quiet on the adventure race because all the races have been canceled. So I know. It's, yeah. it's hard. It's, so. kind of, uh, it's kind of fascinating to see where this is going to go yeah. and what's going to happen this summer. Yeah. So, so Peter kind of steered me on to a bikepacking race in South Dakota. Yep. Um, it's called, like, I, I can't remember what it's called. The but Trans-South Dakota. So... Actually, yeah. Paulette won it two years ago, and I usually do there at least a couple of days of media for them. So, oh, really? So you're going to come do oh, it? Cool. I'm, I'm going to try. <laughs> I think he and I are going to try and, you know, yeah. meet up there again and do it. Um, you know, I, I do really – it was awesome to meet Peter and yeah. Jill, and yeah. I would really like to keep – you know, I'd like to be friends with both of them. Yeah. I don't want to – I don't want to stop talking to him so we were talking about maybe doing that south dakota race well you got a place to stay here before so our house is uh 39 miles from the start line oh really yeah okay cool so yeah all right well go say hi to the puppy okay i will thank you thanks a lot all right yeah thank you bye practice my heart 